Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. I'm honored to introduce our first guest, and her name is Kathleen Fanslow Brunjay. Okay, Kathleen, let me let me say your name correctly. Brunjes. Brunjes. I'm going to get this right, people. Yeah. Kathleen Fanslow Brunjes. Yeah. You Kathleen Fanslow Brunjes. Okay. <laughs> you can call me Kathy. Okay, very good. Kathleen Fanslow Brunjes is a clinical nurse specialist who has helped thousands of people to use the power of hope to cope with inevitable loss. Kathy lost her father to a massive stroke at the age of 19, which changed her life forever. She is the author of Using the Power of Hope to Cope with Dying, The Four Stages of Hope. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Now, you were, now you were saying, where are you located? I'm in uh, the state of Washington on beautiful Whidbey Island, which is about 30 miles north of Seattle. Oh, yeah. I hear oh, that island beautiful. is fabulous. It's beautiful. How it's wonderful. Beautiful. What a, a serene place, and yeah. what a field uh, you're in. Wow. Mm-hmm. You have, um, looking at your book, Using the Power of Hope to Cope with Dying, the Four Stages of Hope, you have worked with so many people and have so many compelling stories and, and so much to talk about mm-hmm. about uh, what people have done. Now, did your father's death when you were 19, did that impact your going into this field, and, and mm. how did you feel about your hope then? Yeah, well... It, it really was devastating. I was the second oldest of five, and my father was really the stabilizer of our family. And he died very suddenly of a massive stroke. And um, I was kind of at that, you know, that crucial age of 18, 19, 20. And what I decided to do was um, was to really become a nurse. And what uh, and that led me into becoming a nurse working with the dying because I never had a chance to help him or be with him. Uh-huh. And, I mean, this took me years to figure out. Uh-huh. I didn't figure it out as I was doing it, but um, it took me years. But I know that that was just such a significant thing. You know, it's so interesting that that moves us into the areas that we go into because uh, Heidi, when she was doing her dissertation, they told her not to do it on sibling loss, right, Heidi? Mm-hmm. Well, they said it was too near and dear to my heart, and I was I was too emotionally attached, which is the exact reason why I wanted to do it, and I did do it on sibling loss because I was passionate about the topic. Mm-hmm. So and you uh, knew it more than anybody else. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. I think as we've gotten away from the Freudian blank slate thing, you know, that people are being a little more honest. And and I think the Internet really makes a difference, too, Kathleen, because Mm -hmm. people are coming on and talking about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, they have an avenue of expression, whereas oftentimes in families, because everyone's suffering, they don't have that avenue. Right. Well, talk a little bit about the power of hope. I I love the way you kind of operationalize hope and, Mm -hmm. and talk about uh, explore it more than right. I've ever seen it explored before. So can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Um, it, it took me a number of years to find what was different in the patients I was working for, working with. And I had uh, studied with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the 70s, mm-hmm. and there were only 11 of us who studied with her. We had She had a luncheon for us at the end, and, and at that luncheon she turned and she said to me, uh, in you, I've lit a candle. 
and being a typical uh, New Yorker born in Brooklyn, I said, what is this lady doing? And I didn't realize what that candle meant to me. And um, But she and I developed uh, a mentor relationship friendship over those years till she died in 2004. And she and, called you the hope doctor, right? Yes, she called me the hope lady. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And in her first book, um, she asked... Uh, On death and dying? To... Um, was that her book, the book you're talking about? Or? Yeah, her first book. With, on Death and on Dying. Death and dying yeah. yes, I, just sorry. for our audience out there, because I will tell you, a lot of people do not know who Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is. Right, yeah, because she's now dead, um, what is it, five years. But um, what was significant was that we felt that there was something missing in our approach, and we didn't want to limit it to just, you know, depression, denial, et cetera, et cetera. And I was listening to a patient one day and struggling with this, and all of a sudden I heard him say, you know, Kathy, I hope I'm among the 20% this chemo helps. Ah. And there it was. There it was. And hope, um, when I first began studying and writing, hope wasn't popular. <laughs> so um, it's taken a long time for the book to come to fruition. But um, what I really believe is it's an a-religious thing. So it can be accepted by all, and I feel it's something of our essence, intrinsic to we who are human. You know, I don't know if puppy dogs hope or pussy cats, but I know that we who are human hope. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have and hope, we hope for all, all the time. Of... You know, we hope it rains. We hope it doesn't rain. We hope the car starts. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, but it's it's something that is so intrinsic. And then as people become more and more ill, and the things that mean life to them are taken from them by the disease, the progression of the disease. What uh, my experience has been is that what comes to the fore is their own hope system. Mm-hmm. And they hope, they hope small things, too, small steps. Oh, that absolutely. It will help small today. steps and, and big steps. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, oh, and the giant, uh, yeah, hope, hope for the future or whatever. Well, what about these people who have uh, the, the loved one has gone now, they've died, Mm-hmm. What happens then with that hope? The hope is that they'll, they'll live and they haven't lived. Right, yes. And the the problem is, of course, who am I now? Right. I knew who I was because of the relationship. But now, who am I? And who will I be or will I be? Mm-hmm. That, you know, and will I survive? Yes, yes. And, who and I would think the hope would come in that where you're open to the idea, like in our organization, open to hope, the hope that someday you will feel better and that you will find joy in your life again. Exactly. I, th- I think uh, I remember the the very first hope that I got after my son was killed. I remember it was standing in the line at his viewing and this doctor, your your pediatrician, Heidi, I can't remember, his, his partner looked at me and said, uh, my son died, um, you know, and and I'm sorry, but he did. He knew he knew not to say you'll be better or anything, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. his standing there mm-hmm. talking to me made and the fact that he was able to get up and go there. Mm-hmm. He was still standing. Yeah, he was yeah. standing. Yeah, I mean that's how basic it is. That that exactly, exactly, because it's that it's that because you're so you're so lost. And the idea that he that gave me hope that I could be standing there someday. Right. I was going to say, Mom, he held the hope for you. Right. Exactly. I like that. Survive. Yeah. He he personified it. 
yeah, holding holding the hope for other people mm-hmm. when they can't even, you know, begin mm-hmm. to go there. Well, you've got these five-column workshops that are really very interesting, and, and uh, you know, we can briefly go over them, but mm-hmm. it's it's, it's uh, looking at your own hope. Mm-hmm. Is it's really an opportunity to look at yourself from a whole different different perspective, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, because we're we're not we're not uh, always centered on hope. You know, we're centered on things so quickly and the speed of the internet, um, but not so much to listen to that essence or that inner self. Right. Um, and talk about the five things you have people do. Oh yes, um, the five column method is a way of helping people get into um, their experience with death. And I start out very light. The first column is life, you know, and it gets filled very quickly with flowers and sky and everything. And then the next column is death. And the atmosphere in the room changes. It's fascinating because often people's handwriting even change as they're writing this. And And you have them write their thoughts about each? Yes, and it can be... Uh, often the the columns may be longer than the life column or very shor- short, but there's a marked difference. And then I move them really into what I think is probably the most difficult, the deepest, but it's it's really the one that they learn the most from because it's the laboratory of the self. And it is the death of the person closest to me. Mm-hmm. And my definition of closest is the, pres- is the presence not only of a love bond, but a need bond. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the next one is thing or thing most difficult for you to lose, and I ask them to look at their body first and then go anywhere. And then the final column is my own death. Well, um, I wanted to talk, uh, Kathy, about your book. Where, where can people get it? It's um, got some wonderful ideas in it, and I like we just kind of went over the five uh, mm-hmm. columns workshop that Kathy does. Um Let's talk about how we can get your book and also what if I want to attend your workshop. So how do we get using the power of hope to cope with dying, the four stages of hope? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the it's in it's in Barnes & Noble. It's in a lot of places. But um, actually, I think the easiest is Amazon. Okay. Amazon.com. And I actually think it's that's the best price. Okay. And then do you have a website? Uh, I don't have a website yet, but I, I will give you, I can give them my email. Okay. Because we're in the process of developing the website. Because you're doing your workshops around the United States, right? Yes, yeah, United States and also Europe. So Okay, so people Canada. might want to um, <laughs> um, sign up for one of your workshops and work. Uh, it looks like a great opportunity to work through yes. some of the issues about your... And I love the idea of exploring your own hope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's really a very interesting thing. Yeah. So we're, uh, you want to give us your website? part of us mm-hmm. often. You know, and that's really what brings us through, I think. Right. You want to give us your website? Sure. It's um, my email, and it's the letter C, the letter F for Frank, the letter B for boy, and then TT, Tom Tom, at Whidbey, W-H-I-D-B-E-Y dot com. Okay, great. And you can also get in touch with us through the grief blog if um, you have trouble uh, accessing them. Sure. And um, so I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about our own hope system mm-hmm. and um, and what would you suggest? Oh, you know what? Before I do that, I don't want to miss this because we got an email related to this show. And uh, it's from Jane, and she says, um, how can I grieve? Let's see. Okay. Uh, Jane says, my mother died five and a half months ago. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. I'm a nurse, and I should have known she had a blood clot. She was a fabulous woman, and I just can't believe she's gone. And then she says, how do, how can I grieve for my mother when I can't forgive myself? Mm. Wow, Jane. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. It's powerful, and it, it happens so often with uh, we who are professional because we think we should know or we should see. But um, in, in my experience, what happens, um, and I, I do go over this a bit in the book, um, is what we have what I call protective coping denial. And because we love that person so much, it's, and even when we look at them, we really don't look at them with our professional eyes. We look at them with a, a daughter's eyes, even though the daughter is a nurse. Right. Um, so uh, if, if she can um, really uh, talk to herself that um, it, it's just not possible to the love-need bond creates that protective denial that enables you to be present to your mom but not always to see it like you would in another patient. Right. Yeah, because I had that same experience with my mother. I didn't realize when we said goodbye to her and she said goodbye, we're not a goodbye family, I didn't realize that the very next day I would get the call that she died. So, so Jane, I think there are a couple of issues here we're talking about. Yeah. It's tough to be a nurse because I'm a nurse too. And, right. you know, yeah, the expectation. You know, you just don't look at everybody's health problems on a regular basis in your family. Mm-hmm. So you can't expect yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of forgiving yourself. And I think talking to other people about it, going to a group, oh, absolutely be helpful too. Because and I think, I think too, sometimes nurses don't talk about stuff because we're so used to taking it home and saying, right. you know, I can't get involved with all this. Right, and you know what I think is a very important thing? The ritual of the retelling. Oh, yeah. To find that person or a nurse you work with or someone in your community. Um, sometimes it's hard with your own family because when you start to talk about it, they tear up or whatever. But to you, you need to retell the story, and then sometimes as you retell it, you know, it's like peeling the onion. You can understand that that you just couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Not that you didn't want to see or you didn't want to help your mom, but that you just couldn't. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And Jane, I think Jane probably knows knows the answers too. She's just not taking care of herself. I, I think give yourself the advice you'd give everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And do and do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit before we end the show, mm-hmm. Kathy, about this idea of the. Um, Heart, reaching out the hand, the heart-hand connection. I really like this, and I'll have to tell you why. Mm-hmm. My cousin died of a brain tumor and uh, about three years ago, and she was very close to me, and I was in Europe, and she called me, and she said, I got me on the phone, I'll never forget, and she was crying, and she said, and her father died. She was very close to him, and he died when she was a child, and she said to me, Gloria, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I've got this brain tumor. I know I'm going to die, and I'm afraid. And I said, oh, Liz. All you have to do is reach your hand out, and he'll take it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. And I instinctively knew that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that I would say that to her, and also wow. that she had someone there who would uh, receive her, would help her. Yes, you know, it, that was. It's a different kind of knowing. Yeah, is it? But it's interesting how innate that hand heart mm-hmm. thing is. Can you talk about it a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, it's something actually the dying taught me um, because I, 
had been with so many people who have died over the years, and um, somehow or another it was always part of, because um, I'm a therapeutic touch practitioner, it was also always part of touch. You know, and I would leave my hand on the bed, and 99 times out of 100 they would grab my hand. And um, what came clear to me is that energetically um, and symbolically, when you hold the hand, you're, you're symbolically holding the heart. And what we do in the hand-heart connection is, and it only, it all the, all you have to do is hold the hand. And often, you know, you see people on the bed, side of the bed with the hands held and the other hand on top of it and send, start sending peace and love because, you see, it actually takes energy to die and it, to separate at that, that heart level. So it has really been a facilitator. And, but what it does, the beauty of it and, and what I love about it, preparing people for bereavement is that as the energy goes through you, as the love goes through you to the other person, on another level you are being prepared to let them go. You're connecting, mm-hmm. but you're also um, letting them go. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I was thinking how important for our bereaved folks out there to find hope, how important touch is. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's too bad we've gotten away from it. I mean, to hold a child's hand, mm-hmm. to pet a dog, mm-hmm. to do something with your hands, mm-hmm. to make that heart connection. Right, because it, and I mean, the more you think about it, I mean, the first thing you'll do when you're going to cross the street is you'll take the child's hand. Yeah. Or you'll take your husband's hand. Um, but symbolically, you're holding their heart. Exactly, and I love that. And if you're not feeling any hope right now, I would suggest that you find a hand to hold mm-hmm. today. Yes, yes. It will make a difference. And, and they always say, you know, a hug, that oh, physical boy. contact if you're not feeling. Well, mm-hmm. they said, I, I just read a study that said that fastest way to increase oxytocin in your body is to give somebody a hug. Mm. Wow, so they're finally measuring it. <laughs> they're finally measuring it, yes. They're measuring what we've known our whole life, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So, exactly. Kathy, what would you suggest as my first step if I have no hope? Obviously, the first step that you guys are listening to this show, good yeah. for you. Yeah, well, I think when you're, when you're so, um, you know, so uh, recently bereaved, I think if there is a, just a person or even one of the cards that was sent to you or a book or something that and it doesn't have to be a big thing it can be a little thing that can really what it does is it reaches into your own heart i think and sparks someone cares or you can think of someone who perhaps came to the viewing or the funeral or someone that helped you before um uh it it it's that it's very difficult to reach out but i think if you can even hold on to a small thing it doesn't have to be a big thing i think that people sometimes think it has to be a big you know monumental thing but it can be uh, just a simple thing mm-hmm. um and to really use what what you have right at hand like if people have sent you cards or flowers read the inscription and um, that can, you know, slowly but surely uh, help you come back. I know you've got some things in your book about um, how caregivers can take care of themselves, and there's some um, great ideas in here. I like the idea of massage or getting right. a manicure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was some body work. Right, 
Right, because it's you, you know the thing is in that situation, um, because especially if you've been a caregiver, you haven't taken care of yourself, and um, very often you know people uh, get pneumonia and, or other things after the death because mm-hmm. they're so run down. Um, but uh, it, if you can, and you can, and if you can, be good to yourself too. And I know you talking here about exercise, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. running, biking, running, biking, music, tai chi. Too. Music I have found to be very helpful, and not the music that you shared with your loved one. You know, the same way you wouldn't immediately go back to that restaurant that you always went to on a Friday night, but uh, you'd go someplace else. But music um, can soothe. You know, I I have found that anyhow. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, music is great. Well, I wanted to uh, close the show today with your Emily Dickinson quote. Have you oh. got your book handy to read it, or do you know it by heart? It's so I, I, lovely. I, you know what? I don't have a book handy. <laughs> you want me to read it? I gave my. Do you have yours? <laughs> yeah, I will. I love this. It says, "Hope is the thing with feathers. Yeah. It perches in the soul mm-hmm. and sings the tune without the words, and never stops at all." Mm. That's, beautiful. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it is wonderful. Yeah. Well. Give us some advice to those folks out there regarding hope right now or some some of your thoughts. Well, I think that, um, you know, we don't talk about hope as much as we should. And I think that um, if in these, you know, the really dark days when you're kind of reaching up to touch bottom, that if you can kind of look inside... Um, even put your own hand on your own heart and then and reach out to someone who has a similar experience or let them find you. That's why I think all the groups and, uh, you know, people calling other people who've had a similar loss uh, because there is a bond of understanding there. And life can be beautiful and fabulous yeah. again. Yeah, but I think the thing is, the most important thing is to really not take in when people say, oh, he was old, or oh, you'll get over it, or you'll be your old self. You will be a new self. You'll be a different self. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Kathy. Oh, it's been a delight. It's been great having you on the show. It's a wonderful (laughs) book. I'd highly recommend you get Using the Power of Hope to Cope with Dying, The Four Stages of Hope. And again, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thanks, Kathy. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.